بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما This is the fifth fiqh session This is the fifth session In Husna Thomas Kuhn Tayyam This religion Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us is a religion of making things easy for people because of this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed us an alternative way of giving us access to salah in case we have no access to water so if there is no water around us whether not finding water is or missing water is a real thing i.e. physically there is no water or the water is there but for any medical reason you can't use it then you can resort to what we know in Sharia as Tayammum so what is Tayammum? the word Tayammum in its very linguistic essence means to aim to something aim to something <coughs> we call the one who leads us in Salah Imam from the same stem Amma Ya Ummu Amma means to aim or to head towards something. So when you go to the Kaaba, you say, Amamtul Kaaba. Amamtul Kaaba means I am heading towards the Kaaba. Because in Tayammum, in its linguistic sense, what do you do? You aim towards the dust to take part of it or some of it or to hit it and then wipe over your parts that you need to wipe over. Obviously, this is just the linguistic meaning of it. But the technical definition of Tayammum, <coughs> as they define it, they say, Tayammum means <coughs> Tayammum means to deliver pure dust to the face and the hands in place of ablution or washing bodily parts with specific conditions. And we need to go through this definition in detail. First, to deliver pure dust. The word deliver has been put there to mean that you cannot deliver yourself to the dust. You have to deliver the dust to yourself. How, how would you deliver yourself to the dust? Imagine, someone has pushed you on the dust <laughs> and you just happened to fell on your face and hands. Can you make an intention while that happens and say, let me intend to No. Another better example, more practical example. You walk in in a windy day and the wind carried some dust and it just happened to be on your face and hands. Can you just say, I have done tayammum? No. Unless you move the dust from one part to another, unless you move the dust from one bodily part to another, not from parts of one bodily part. <clears throat> so if you're walking and the wind brought the dust on this side of your face and you moved it to the other side, that is not counted. But if you move the dust from your face to your hands, from your hands to your face, or from left hand to the right hand, or from the right hand to the left hand, all of that is counted as part of Tayammu. Why is it counted as part of Tayammu? It's acceptable. But obviously, you don't move it like this. You have to hit on it and then wipe the other. Does it make sense? Hit on it and then wipe over your face. That is acceptable because you have delivered it from one place to the, to the bodily part. But if it came on your face and you, you covered your, the full face, you have not delivered it anyway. It was on your face. To deliver 
pure dust. This is a very distinguishing feature between the Shafi'i Madhab and many other Madhab. I know a lot of people get confused with this. In Shafi'i Madhab, we don't allow tayammum with anything except pure dust. We don't allow tayammum with a rock, with a stone, with wood, with anything. In some other madhabs, possibly the Malikis, possibly the Ahnaf as well, you can just hit on the clothes that have become dusty and use that. That doesn't work in the Shafi'i madhab. What we talk about in the Shafi'i madhab is dust that has got mist. So if you have these sand granules that do not have mist, if you hit them, nothing comes out of them, that is not working. Concrete or cement or gypsum or anything that you use as building material is not acceptable. Anything that has got mist but the mist or parts of it, like the, 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 the powder itself, sticks to your bodily parts is not acceptable because it's formulating a barrier between the mist and the bodily part. So what we're talking about is dust. Can it be sand? Yes. It can be sand, if sand has dust. So this fabricated, manufactured sand that we use in building doesn't take that hookup. We're talking about sand that is in the desert. Where do you find such soil? Oh, yeah. Where this soil that you have. Oh, yeah. soil. Yeah, this soil that we have. <coughs> in, in weather conditions like this, you will not find that it has mist. But if you put this soil, that we have in normal hot weather conditions. Will it have mist or not? It will. It will. So this is valid. This is acceptable. When you say it has to have mist, it doesn't mean that it has to have mist on the spot. It means which is normal, normally in normal conditions, have mist. But if you put these sand granules anywhere, it will not have mist. It cannot be something that you have smashed back into into, like, you get a stone and you smash it. Or you get a marble and you smash it. All of that does not work as tayammum. As, as tayammum material. And it has to be what? Pure. We mean by pure that it has not been used before. What do we mean by it hasn't been used before? If I put my hand on a spot, does it mean it is used? No. We mean by, and this is, this is a bit difficult. You know, it's a bit, it's, it's, it's a bit like, fussy. We mean by used before, the dust that comes off your bodily part, you can't put your hand underneath someone's hand and take that and use it for, for, for time. That's used. That is what we mean by used. But if you put your hand on the same spot a thousand times, it doesn't make it used. Why? Because it's the earth. The earth is tahur. Right? The earth is tahur. And it has to be pure, meaning you don't go to a place where there is dung, or, or, or uh, any feces or anything like that. You deliver that to the face and the hands. They said to deliver that to the face and the hands. What if you can't deliver it to the face and the hands? You have the injury in your face. You have the injury in your hand. Someone has an eczema in the, in the body, but I use it in So what shall we do in that situation? We will talk about that. There are causes that lead us to Tayammu, and in some time, we will say, do tayammum, but repeat your prayer. For example, you have a cast. 
We have a, <laughs> and I told you before that one of the strictest madhabs when it comes to costs is Shafi'i madhab. Because we will ask you the first thing, this cost that you have put, is it exactly the size of your wound or of fracture, or fracture? If it is exactly the size of your wound or fracture, we'll not ask you any further questions. Do tayammum and no problem, you don't have to repeat your prayer. If it is a bit more, which is 99% of the cases, because you have to make sure that it holds, it is steadfast, we will ask you then, have you put it in a state of purity or not? When you put your cast, were you at that time in a state of purity or not? So the first thing that you should think about when you break your arm or you, <laughs> is go and do And then if you go to the hospital, and you're touched by a nurse, that breaks your wudu. So there is no way. <laughs> That's why we say it's very difficult to observe Shafi'i Madhab when it comes to costs. We will talk about some funny things. So to deliver. Also when we say to deliver the person, we mean by, by the person himself. So it, it has to be either you who deliver, or someone you have given permission to. If someone is paralyzed, or someone is unable, or someone even is fully healthy and fully functioning, but he said, okay, please bring the dust and, and wipe my face and wipe my hands. He, did, he asked his son to do that, right? Fine. It's acceptable. The fuqah says something which the brothers and sisters laughed at yesterday. They said, and you see how, how imaginative they were. They said, even if it is by a trained monkey. If you have a monkey, a trained monkey, <laughs> and you point it to the monkey to go and hit the dust and wipe your face and wipe your arms, that's valid. Still valid. But it is not valid if it is done by someone who is volunteering. Someone who did it without your permission. Someone just went and hit his hand to the dust and wiped your face without your permission, without being given any permission. That's not valid. Because there is no delivering here. But if there is permission, even if it's by a trained monkey, that is still acceptable. To the face and the hands, in place of ablution or ghusl, obviously. So if the person does not, is in a state of major impurity or minor impurity and he has no access to water, and we'll talk about lack of access to water. Or washing bodily parts. What do we mean by washing bodily parts? Here is the scenario. You have a wound in one of the parts of wudu, like your leg, your feet. You've got a wound or you have a cast. What do you do in that situation? Huh? What do you do in that situation if you have if you have a cast? First, you have to wash all the parts that you need to wash in wudu, apart from this part. And secondly, you have to do tayammum on behalf of that part. So you do tayammum on behalf of the part. So tayammum sometimes comes as a substitute for Dua'l-Ghusl, and sometimes it comes as a complement or a, com a complexion for the wudu. That is if the wound is not in the tayammum parts. The tayammum parts are, remember, arms to the elbows and face only. If, tayammum, if, that's if, if the wound is outside these, is in any other part of wudu, then tayammum comes to complement. But if it is in the parts of tayammum themselves, then you will not be able to do tayammum, will you? 
if the wound is in your face, how are you going to wipe your face? Or you have eczema in your hands, how are you going to wipe your, your arms? So in this situation, you will not be able to do tayammum. You might be able to do wudu in other parts, but you will not be able to do tayammum in these parts. In that situation, there is a scenario that we'll talk about when we talk about costs. Tayammum, and this is so important, tayammum is not an obligation. In the Hanafi madhab, it's an obligation. It's an obligation because it substitutes wudu and ghusl. But in the Shafi'i madhab, it's not an obligation. What is it? It's a permissible action that substitutes. It's a substitute. Because it's a substitute, why do we differentiate between an obligation and a substitute? For an obligation like wudu, you can make the intention of wudu. You can say, nawaitul wudu, I intend to do wudu. For ghusl, that can be an obligatory sometimes and it can be recommended some other times. You have to make the intention and indicate that this is an obligatory. You say, nawaitul ghusl al-wajib, I intend to do obligatory ghusl. Otherwise, it might fall into non-wajib ghusl. But tayammum is not wajib. If it was wajib, it would have been required from you. It's allowable. It's allowable in case there is no access to water. You can't use water. We tell you, okay, as a substitute, do tayammum. So what does that mean? That means that tayammum does not lift up or terminate the state of impurity. It does not terminate it. It does not terminate it. It just gives you access to salah. Wudu terminates the state of? Terminates the state of hadas, impurity. So you can do anything with it. You can pray many food with it, you can, make, you can pray like Dhuhr, Asr, Nadr, Isha, as long as you keep your wudu. But for tayammum, you've just given yourself access to this coming salah. So you can pray with tayammum only one part. Only one part. You do tayammum for Dhuhr, you can't pray Asr with it. You can't do sunnah. You can do one part, I'm coming to that. You can do one part and as many sunnahs as you wish. You can do one part and as many sunnahs as you wish. And as many times of touching the Quran as you wish. But bear in mind, there are three levels of intention in tayammum. If you make an intention with your tayammum to give yourself access to touching the Quran and similar activities, you cannot do nafl prayer with it. You cannot do nafl tawaf with it. If you give you, if you say, well, I make intention to give myself access to nafl prayer, then you can do nafl tawaf and you can touch the Qur'an. So it gives you access to that level and the level that. If you make it, but it doesn't allow you to pray, fard with it. If you make intention to give yourself access to fard salah, then it gives you access to that other three. <laughs> so you have to be very specific. Check. Um, yes. When you're doing, um, when you're traveling, yes. you have to do two salah together, two fard. Yes. You have to do tamu twice. You have to do tayammum twice. If you're traveling, if you're traveling and you can combine, you're allowed to combine, you have to do tayammum twice. Funnier than this scenario is here. On the day of Salat al-Jum'ah, we pray rak'atayn Jum'ah. Why? Because of the Qudwa. Because of the Qudwa. Where is the other two rak'ahs of Dhuhr? They have been substituted by the Qudwa. So now the Imam is doing two forms. So an imam who gives the khutbah on the day of Jum'ah has to do two tayammums. So the imam will do tayammum, deliver the khutbah, get down, do another tayammum, leave people. People will do only one. 
Why is that? Because the khutbah in the Shafi'i Madhab is seen as as, as a ibadah that requires pahara. In the Hanafi Madhab it's not. So an imam can deliver the khutbah while, have, while he doesn't have wudu. But then he has to go and do wudu and lead the salah. Huh? This is a, an essential difference. But even for, for Hanafi, Masa, um, they're doing kasar. They have to do the... the no, that, that's a... Uh, Hanafi Madhab, they don't combine. They don't combine. Yes. Yeah, okay. So they're exempt from that. Unless someone is trying to be a funny Hanafi, which means that he's not a Hanafi. <laughs> if someone, if any Hanafi says to you, I'm combining, it's just like it is, no, it's not. It's allowable in the Hanafi method to combine in one day only in their life. If they are in Hajj and it's the day of Arafah, Dhuhr and Asr and Maghrib and Isha together, that's it. Besides that, they are not allowed to combine. Okay. And, and we will see in Salatul Qasr, in the shortening the prayer, this is balanced with the amount of prayers you can combine in the Hanafi method. You can combine up to 14 days. Uh, sorry, you can shorten up to 14 days. In the Shafi'i method, it's only three days plus the day of arrival and the day of departure. So yes, in the Shafi'i method, you can combine and you can shorten, but it's only five days. In the Hanafi method, you can shorten, but you have 14 days. And that's, that's so relaxed. In the Hanafi method, though, it is wajib to, short, uh, to shorten. It's an obligation. Once you travel, you have to shorten. In Shafi'i Madhab, no, it's not an obligation. You can decide, I'm going to pray for with the Imam. In the Hanafi Madhab, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. You unless, see? Unless you are behind an Imam who does. Yes, yes. So, congregation prayer is fine. Congregation prayer is fine, yeah. When is Tayammum due? We have listed here about six reasons for tayammum, six causes that allow tayammum. But in general, they count in big books about 21 causes of tayammum. I'm not going to list them up, but I can tell you that tayammum is allowed generally when the person has no access to water. And lack of access to water can either be what we call legal or physical. Physical or legal? What do you mean by physical? Physical lack of access means there is no water. It's as simple as that. There is no water. You are in a desert and there is no water. Or you are in prison and there is no water. You have no access to it. That's called physical lack of access. Or the water is across the road. But if I leave my luggage here, Someone would steal it. Or there is a lion or a, a very dangerous animal between me and there. Or there is a gang, people who can kill me or can cause me harm. Or if I leave my wife or my children or someone I'm responsible for, they will be attacked. Or another situation, they call it idlalul ma. Idlalul ma is not to have access to water even though it is there. For example, you're leaving to a journey and your wife filled a big bottle of water and put it in your car boot. She never told you. You wanted to pray water on the way, you don't know that there is water. So you prayed using table. You have water. Huh? But you didn't know. What if 
she put it in your luggage and you looked for it and you couldn't find it. Right? In that situation, you do tayammum, but you have to repeat your prayer if you want it later. Uh, this, uh, this is like, if you don't know, you're exempt. If you know, but you couldn't find it. Another example, another similar scenario. You know that there will be some water on the road at this junction. At this junction, there is some tap or something or toilets and you can do do there. You go to the junction because you haven't found this road for ages. The place, you can't find it. You can't find it. You looked for it, you couldn't find it, so you did with tayammum, and then after, after that, you found the place. Oh, you have to repeat your prayer. Because you knew that there is, it was there. You just missed it. Right? Or you have just passed that junction, and then you realize that, you know what, I'm in the wrong junction, you have to repeat. But what if you arrive at this junction, and you don't know that there is water there or anything, and you looked, you couldn't find, you did your tayammum, and you prayed, and later on you discover, no, you don't have to. You see? They are balanced. Hmm? So, having no access to water, physical. What about legal? Lack of access to water. Oh, physical, by the way, physical lack of access to water. Another example is, Tariq has water. We're traveling together, he's got water. I said, Tariq, can, I, can you give me some water for my wudu? He said, 300 <laughs> One bottle of water is 300 pounds. I've got the 300 pounds. But I have a child, I have a family, or even I have a mount, a donkey or something, or, or a respectful animal that I'm responsible to spend on. In that situation, what he is doing, he is abusing the situation, so I actually can go for them. What about legal lack of access to water? All forms of illnesses. For example, you've got eczema in your body. You've got a wound that you can't use water. Water is there, but you can't use it. Or the water is there, but you need it for your drinking. If you use it for your wudu, you will not be able to survive for the rest of your journey. You need it for you, or for your child, or for your wife, or for someone you're responsible for, or even for your respectful act. You're traveling on a camel or a horse, you need to your horse. We're coming to that. We're coming to that. Water is there, but you can't use it. Why? Because I have a wound and my doctor told me if I use this water, if I use water for this wound, it will not allow it to heal or it will make it worse or it will slow the healing process. Slowing the healing process, exempt me. You have got a wound in what we call an apparent part of your body, your face, your hands, which you use all the time. And they said if you use the water in your skin, it will turn it black or it will make it look ugly, or it will leave a scar or something like that. What if the wound is in a hidden part of your body? Oh, we say no problem. No, you have to use water. Why? Because this is not something that is needed for it's not going to cause you any embarrassment. But if it's in your face and it's going to leave a scar or something, you use water. No. If the water is too cold and using it will cause you a damage in your body or will cause you some form of skin problem, you're exempt. Bear in mind that in all of these cases, in some cases, 
We will say, use it, and you have to repeat your prayer later. In some other cases, we say, no, just use it. You don't have to repeat your prayer later. In that situation, and I'll give you a criteria here. We divide the excuses that allow you to use water into four categories. Permanent and temporary. <coughs> general and private. A general excuse is like there is water cut in the area. That is not particular to you, it's not particular to your household, it is it's a general excuse. Private is you are in prison, that's you. Or you're ill, that's you. Permanent excuse is something that is continuous. Like someone who has got continuous eczema can't use water at all. Right, his, his life since that time onwards. Temporary is something that will continue for a period of time regardless of how long it could be. Could be six weeks, could be one month, but later on it will be gone. Like he's got a wound or a fracture in his arm or something like that. In these situations, or the example Sister Fahan has given. You have cold water. That is not going to continue. It's nadir. It's something nadir. It's something great. How, how often do we uh, come across a situation like this? Like people who live in the Eskimo. Oh, it's, it's very unimaginable. People have, one of the earliest things people have found is fire. So heating can happen anywhere. You can heat anywhere. Even with the most primitive way you can create a fire, you can make a fire. So in that situation we will say a temporary individual or private excuse, an excuse that is private and temporary requires you to repeat your prayer. So if the water is so cold, fine, do tayammum, but repeat your prayer later on. Huh? Yeah, for how long? Six weeks. And you can't, so you have to repeat your prayer. Yes. Let me ask you a question, Sister Zahra, to make this very clear to you. If a person has left his prayer after reaching the age of puberty for a year or two, and they decided, I'm going to, what do we ask them to do? We will not say, okay, it has been at two years. He has to combine, uh, to put another dhuhr with every dhuhr, another asr for ev with every asr. So, can flu actually stay for six weeks? No, but if you're ill, you can't stay after. If, if, if it is long, I mean, in a year, if it's more than six months, that's a different story. But if it's like four weeks, six weeks, we will say, okay, enjoy tayammum. Sometimes even, I'll tell you one thing, sometimes even, if the person doesn't have access to water, or dust, this pure dust, we tell them out of respect for the prayer time you have to pray. But then you will have to replicate on. So the respect for the prayer time takes forever. That individual didn't have to do anything. Yes? It's slightly off the topic, but related to the point about making up your, um, your salah. Your um, I understood once that if you pray the sunnah, the sunnah this is a view. Okay. This is a view of Ibn Hazm. Okay. But it is outside the four matabs. Mm -hmm. oh. It's outside the four matabs. There are some views, and I was saying to the brothers yesterday, 
one of the mistakes, I wouldn't say mistakes, one of the disasters, you know, this might annoy some people, one of the disasters of modern Salafiyyah is that the non madhhabi Salafis, because some Salafis are actually very proper Hanbalis, is that they have spread some certain views that are outside the four madhhabs, promoted them in such a way that they have become the default views, while the Sunni madhhabi views have been ostracized to the corner, been sent to exile, and they have become the very odd ones. Like that view on wiping over that socks. No one ever says that. Like even an idiot wouldn't say that. But there are some idiots out there who are saying it. Because the Sahaba alayhim, understood that wiping over the socks, wiping over the jawa, the, the, the khuf, you know, we have to use the word khuf, wiping over the khuf is in fact a concession because it is so difficult, it is so difficult for you to remove that thick khuf that you have put because of extreme cold. Can you walk in your socks in cold outside? You can't. You can't. Because, yes, it is there. it's actually like a lining between your feet and your shoes. That's the whole point of these socks. Unless it is something that stops water from penetrating, then it's not considered to be a hot. So that, and, and if you go across all the there, even the Hanbalis, you ask a Hanbali faqih, they will say the same thing. Malikis, Shafi'is, and, and Hanifis. The four mothers. So someone just came and said, Bismillah. Another view that has been also promoted is counting the three divorces as one. This is not accepted by anyone within the madhabs. Imam al-Kawthari, rahimahullah, Shaykh al-Islam in the Ottoman Empire, wrote a book called Al-Ishfaq from the Sa'id al-Talaq, 400 pages saying that no one goes with this view except the Kharijites, the Khawaj, and in this day and age, the Shia, Muslims. So if you want to count the three as one, become Shia. They go on imitating them. Neither Abu Hanifa, Shafi, Malik, Ahmad said if someone said to his wife that she is divorced thrice or three times in a row, he said three times, it's counted as three. A man came to Ibn Abbas and said, yeah, Ibn Abbas, I divorced my wife three times. What can I do? He said to him, how come one of you becomes foolish and then he comes to Ibn Abbas to fix it? <laughs> you thought Ibn Abbas said that. It's like you become foolish and then you come to Ibn Abbas to fix it. You can't, you can't, I can't fix it. In, in Sharia, we have something called Al-Aslu fil furuji At-Tahassun Wal-Ihtiraz. The default case when it comes to intimacy and relationships is no. No. Stay away. That's why we require two witnesses in marriage. Why? Because we have to confirm that when this person has relation with this woman, it is confirmed. But when it comes to talaq, to divorce, we don't require any witnesses. Why? Because it takes us to know. It doesn't take us to continuation. It takes us to once the person divorces his wife, he's not allowed to have relation with So that takes us to the default. The default is, when it comes to intimacy, the original case is no. No relation. We will not allow a relation unless there is a confirmation. Why? Because a relation requires responsibilities. Nafaqa, 
maintenance, all of these things. So in order to establish that, we need witnesses. But when it comes to divorce, the woman has automatic right to maintenance. Once she has been divorced, it is automatic right. Why? Because the original relation has been confirmed. But the intimacy is no more available. So this, these are like two examples and loads of other examples we come across in our life where these people unfortunately have promoted as the main views of Islam. And people, because they, people want ease in their life. But there is a fine line between ease and looseness. There is something where we call the person who's legally responsible mukallaf. Mukallaf. Mukallaf comes from the word taklif. Taklif in Arabic means ilzamu ma fihi kulfa. To require from the person something that causes some unease. Of course, when we tell you you have to wake up for Salat al-Fajr, it's uneasy. When we tell you you have to do wudu, it's uneasy. When we tell you you have to pray five times a day, it's uneasy. It's not. But this is, this, this is about life in general. You have to have some unease in order to get some reward. You can't get reward without anything. So the Sharia has made these uneasy things much easier. When you compare them to what was before, they are much easier. Going back to them, so we said permanent and temporary, general or private. So tayammum is acceptable or is due when when a person doesn't have access to water. When a person doesn't have access to water. When a person is afraid uh, of, of, of uh, going towards the water place. Or for example, another example, you have a well. And there is a, a rope, or there is like a line you can take down the well. But you know that there is someone who will remove it once you are down. And you'll be, be left there. We say, okay, stay, stay where you are. The person is in need of the water. The person has lost the water. And we, we, say, we said that uh, like the, the water is in, is in your car or is, is with you, but you don't know. You couldn't find it. You couldn't locate it. Uh, you're afraid that the water will cause some damage to your body. Or you have a cast or a bandage. Or the person or the water is, is, is extremely cold. These are the conditions for tayammum to be valid. And I want you to know them. First, it has to be with dust. And we said dust can also apply to sand that is in the desert. Because the sand in the desert, this is like, you, you know, this very fine sand. If you hit it, what comes of it? Mist. But not these granules. Sheikh, if there's a stone and you put your hands against it, are no. you assuming that you're taking the dust on it? That's not, that's not considered that's to be. No. And they clearly say that. They clearly say that. I remember I visited the house of one of the, our teachers from Yemen in Medina after he passed away. So I visited his room. And in his room, I saw a stone. And I was told, this is Hajar al-Tayyamum. This is the stone of Tayyamum. And I understand that the Shaykh was Shafi'i, very strict Shafi'i. So I asked, how come that he's using a stone? Like, this, is, this is not in our madhab. And we, I was told that in Tayammum he would imitate the Maliki Madhab because at old age he was 90 plus. It was very difficult for him. So he imitated the Maliki Madhab towards the end of his life in, in issues of Tahar. So sorry, um, 
in, in, in Hanafi, I, as far as I remember, and Maliki Madhab, anything that comes from earth. I, I remember even uh, I was reading yesterday in uh, Imam al-Hisni. He said even from the grass, because the gra- as long as it's attached to the ground, as long as it's attached to the earth, anything, it's allowed. It's allowed. Yeah. Yes, in, in some other madhabs it's allowed. I, I, sorry? No, if you follow the madhab in this, my wife, for example, when we were in London, she wants to combine. So I tell her, look, you're not allowed to combine. And she said, it is difficult to message. Look, there's nothing called difficult for you or not difficult for you. You can't just speak and choose. You want to become Hanafi, you have to become Hanafi. You want to become Shafi, you have to become Shafi. It's a chunk. You can't just go if you want to buy a box of eggs. You are, if you need two eggs, you can just go to the shop, pick up the two eggs and take them and go. You have to buy like the pack, either six or four or twelve. It comes as a, as a package. So here we have wudu, tayammu, wudu or tayammu, or these three leading you to what? Salah. This is a package. You need ghusl and you want to do ghusl according to the Shafi'i Madhab, then you have to know how to pray according to the Shafi'i Madhab. So that you pray your prayer according to the Shafi'i Madhab with this ghusl. If you don't, you can't, <laughs> you can't assemble a Shafi'i wudu with a Hanafi prayer. Why? Because in the, Shafi'i, in the Hanafi Madhab, you need to goggle, you have to goggle your mouth and rinse your nose in the ghusl. It's worth if you do, If you leave it, your ghusl will be invalid, isn't it, Ya Amran? Yes. Yeah. So, if you do your ghusl according to the Shafi'i Madhab, obviously, you will not have to rinse or God. Then you go and pray according to the Hanafi Madhab, this prayer is invalid because it's with a new ghusl. Does that make sense? It, same thing in the Hanafi Madhab. If you do the Hanafi ghusl, it's, 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 you, can pray, you can pray the Shafi'i way with it, but, but, but it might be a bit different. I, I, I don't know about that. But wudu, for example, in the Hanafi Madhab, intention is not required in wudu. It's not an essential. It is just recommended. It's recommended to do it, to intent. But in the Shafi'i Madhab, if you miss your intention, your wudu is completely invalid. So imagine you do wudu according to the Hanafi Madhab. And then you come and pray your salah according to the Shafi'i Madhab. This salah is invalid with this wudu. This salah with this wudu is invalid. So you have to learn, sometimes you have to learn ibadah, let's say, or salah and something that you have to use every day. You know, Imam Ibn Raslan rahimahullah ta'ala talks about the essential that a Muslim have to say, I have to know. He says, وَالْعِلْمُ أَسْمَ سَائِلِ الْأَعْمَالِ That knowledge is the best of all these. وَهُوَا دَلِيلُ الْخَيْرِ وَالْإِفْضَالِ It is the guide to goodness and honor. Fafarduhu, the fard of it, the fard of knowledge, the knowledge that is fard, fafarduhu, ilmu sifat al fardi, knowing the qualities of the person, knowing your own qualities. Ma ilmi ma yahtajuhu, meaning knowing your evil deeds, knowing your bad qualities. Ma ilmi ma yahtajuhu al muaddi, in addition to knowing what you need to perform every day. من فرض دين الله بالدوام from the essentials of the deen of Allah continuously كالطهر like purification والصلاة 
and prayer والصيامي and fasting والبيع للمحتاج للتبايب and sale if you need to sell and buy you have to know the rules of that والبيع للمحتاج للتبايع وظاهر الأحكام الصنائع and the rulings that relate to your profession if you are a doctor and you deal with women then you have to know the rulings related to awra and touching and this and that so that you don't prescribe something that is haram you don't touch something that is haram you don't do something that is haram if you are a trader you have to know the basics of trade if you are a farmer you have to know some basics of zakah if you have a sheep and camels and things like that you have to know the details of this so that you give your zakah on time right والبيع للمحتاج للتبايع وظاهر الأحكام في الصنائع وعلم داء للقلوب مفسد and knowing the diseases that corrupt the heart كالعجب والكبر وداء الحسد like conceitedness and arrogance and envy you have to know these things so that you don't follow you don't fall into this وما سوى هذا من الأحكام and besides this all the rulings besides that فرض كفاية على الأنام it is a collective duty of people كل مهم قصد تحصله من غير أن يعتبروا من فعله that is every important thing that they need to do without having to specifically attach it to one person like like commanding what is good and forbidding what is evil. It's a collective duty. It is not an individual duty on you. It's a collective duty. As a community, we have to speak against evil. We have to say that it is evil. Everyone is free to do whatever they want. But we cannot change the fact that we have to say this is wrong. According to our deen, if we disagree with something, there is a public practice that the society has accepted. We as Muslims have a moral commitment. Have a moral commitment to say that this is wrong. You know, I was reading these days a book written by the chief rabbi, the former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs. He's a, he's, a, he's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant man. He talks about the demoralization of the society. And that secularism has demoralized the society. And since this demoralization of the society, religion has, religion has been sent to the corner. They got rid of the religion. The society is getting rid of the religion, not knowing that religion had to come back from the back door and re-identify itself in a different way. The problem with that is because religion has been cornered and sent into exile, it is coming back as an individual experience. The problem with an individual experience of religion is this, is this terrorism that we have. Because everyone is rediscovering their religion, but not in the normal route of discovering religion. So people are just defining themselves as religious beings, but as individuals. And so the biggest problem of the modern secular society is that it has crushed tradition. <coughs> and for tradition, for, for religion to flourish in the society and to play its role, the society has to open the gates for traditional understanding of the religion. Because this, this is how it has been handed down. In a traditional atmosphere, there is what we call the religious authorities. I mean by religious authorities here, the ulama, who have the tools to interpret the deen. Let's call them the scholarly community. Anyone can join them, as long as they have fulfilled the qualifications that enable him to get in. You can't just be an academic without having a PhD and MA. Same thing. It's not close to a circle of people, but once you have qualif been qualified, you can join. 
and in the rest of the community that respects this religious authority. In a secular society, what has happened is we're dismantling this religious authority, dismantling it, making the masses lose their respect and lose their attachment to it. So what happens? Everyone is trying to huh? just redefine religion and, 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 and interpret it according to his own standards, his own experience. In a free world where everyone is doing whatever they want, we, we move from being a society to being islands, little islands. And that's very dangerous. Yeah. No, not necessarily even the end of their life. They can change the matter so that they can become without having to do to make widows. Anyone. Anyone who wants to change a madhab, his madhab, to any other madhab, it's absolutely fine yes. on one condition that you study that other madhab or the topics of that other madhab that relate to what you're going to do. So that you do this package the whole thing properly right so properly yeah he can he can he can ask a mufti yeah what can i do in this situation here is a situation and the mufti tells him well according to our madhab this is this is the situation a hanafi is exempt from prayer if he cannot nod with his head but in the Shafi'i Madhab, with your eyelashes, you can pray. You see, here, it's much easier in the Shafi'i Madhab. Or some people might find that to be difficult. Because they will say, oh, I'm still required to, <laughs> to pray even in that situation. Dust has to be pure. Dust hasn't been used before. Dust is not mixed with anything else. It's not mixed with flour. And one important thing as well, they, they, they discuss this in detail, but it's, uh, it's, it's just like, I'll mention it. And we pass. If the dust has been burnt, <laughs> like ashes, ashes, they said no. If it has been burned and it has become black and it has changed, no, you can't use that. If it has become blackened but it's not fully burned, they differ within the madhab. Like Imam Rafi'i says something, Imam al Nawi says something else. The person aims to the dust, not haphazardly, as we said, if it has been moved on him by the wind or somebody, like you're fighting with someone and he took a some dust and he threw it in your, in your face and he said, you rubbed your face that Jazakallah khair, I was intending to have him anyway, that <laughs> doesn't work <laughs> the, wi uh, the, the person wipes the face and hands with two hands how do we wipe our face and hands here is, here is a trick there are two ways of doing that by hitting Yawali, you have to hit right? obviously you don't have to hit like that break dust in. you hit and then you hit the hands so that if there is anything attached to your hands, goes down, right? So you hit, and here is way number one. First hit, wipe your face. Second hit, your, your left hand, look at these four fingers, on top of the four fingers. And your thumb is outside, right? It's very simple. Four fingers on top of the four fingers, and go up. And then down. That's it, that's one. Same thing, four fingers, on top of the four fingers, and then you wipe over the top. And then, once you pass the elbows, you go down, and it becomes like a round thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then you wipe, and the thumb will wipe the thumb at the very end. So this is way number one. One for the face, and one for the hands. Another way, 
First hit. Both hands have dust, isn't it? I wipe with my right hand my face. This hasn't been used yet. And I use this for this hand. And then the second one, I use this for this hand. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have to do it twice. This is not necessary. Like, uh, hit, clapping the hands together, it's not necessary. But you have to, to hit them on the, on, the, on the dust. So, the first hit, you can use one hand only. You're allowed to use one hand only. Because the second hand hasn't been used, and this is the left hand, you start with what? Always, you start with the right. يقدم اليسرى اليمنى وأخر اليسرى عن اليمين وأبدأ بيمناك سوى الأذنين ذي سي وأبدأ بيمناك سوى الأذنين start with the right وخلل أصابع اليدين واستكمل الثلاثة باليقين وأبدأ بيمناك سوى الأذنين you always required to start with what is right except in 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 wiping the the ears in wudu you do them spontaneously together to remove filth and impurity first. If you have some filth on your body, you have to remove that. If you have dried blood on your body, you have to remove that. What if I can't remove it? Like someone has been bleeding all over the, the place and the najasa has dried on his body. He can do tayammum, but he will have to repeat. This is also important. To work hard to find the qibla before it. Because tayammum is a necessity purification, you can't just do it and wait for the salah. You can't do tayammum one hour before salah or 15 minutes before the salah. You have to wait until the time of dhuhr has started. And now what if you know that before the time of dhuhr expires, we mean by the expiry of the time is, if there is enough time at the end of the time of dhuhr, that during which you can do wudu and pray one rak'ah of dhuhr within that time frame, then you, you should wait. If you know that towards the end of the time of dhuhr, there will be water, if you are sure of that, or it's more likely that it will happen, wait. If it's, if it's less likely that there will be water, then do tayammum and pray at the beginning of that time. So you have to look for the qibla and then do tayammum, because tayammum doesn't take time. And tayammum has to happen after the prayer time has started, one time is valid for only one fard prayer, having no access to water. Uh, this is also important. There is something which we call a disobedient trouble. What do you mean by a disobedient trouble? A disobedient trouble is a trouble that is not allowed in Sharia. Like a son running away from his parents without any valid reason. A wife leaving the, the house of her family without any reason, without any permission, without anything. A purpose of uh, disobedience has been set for the trouble before the one embarks on the journey. He is going to kill someone, or he's going to do something specifically. So as though when he leaves his house, what was his purpose? Doing something haram. That individual who is doing this, his journey is haram. He's not allowed to embark on that journey in the first place. So what do we say? If he is out in the journey and there is no water, there is physical absence of water, there is no water, we say, okay, do There is no other option. There is no water around. Do Okay, I have to repeat your prayer. 
what if there is water but he has a medical excuse uh, from using it? We say no. You are not allowed to use water because you, you're not allowed to use tayammum. You have to use water. I am, I have a wound. That's your business. So what can I do? I'm going to kill myself. Do tawbah first. And stop from what you were going from what are you going to do? And then you can enjoy that. Why? Because tayammum in this situation is a concession. It's a concession. And they say, Arruchas la tuna Concessions are not accessible in a state of disobedience. In the Hanafi Madhab, it's different. But yes, because in Hanafi Madhab, whether you are obedient or disobedient, you can enjoy tayammum and you can also shorten your prayer. In the Shafi'i Madhab, if you are traveling for a disobedient travel, you're not allowed to shorten your prayer either. You have to do tawbah first. So, because of physical absence of water, there is no way, there is no water. But legal, oh, there is water. We say, sorry, I have to use this water. But it's going to damage you. That's your business. Do you want to be disobedient to Allah and still enjoy it as the solution is given to you? Do tawbah first. This is like a, a forced tawbah. <laughs> so the person has to do tawbah. By the way, when we say a disobedient travel, it's a travel that the purpose of which has been set from the very beginning. What if someone is traveling and in his journey he disobeyed Allah, he did something haram. No, he's, he's, he can still enjoy anything and everything. That's different. Because if he is going on holiday and he did something haram in the journey or when he was away, what if that, that's, that, that, he doesn't take the same ruling of this. Yes, go on. In? If you're in a car and you're going somewhere, you have water with you, but you can't stop for whatever reason. It's time for Salah. So what would you do? Would you, would you Will you combine? To... Can you combine? If you're hunting, then it's... Would you, would you be able to... Would it, are you allowed to, to do mm. your mom, although you have water with you? In, you mean in, 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 in your car? But how are you going to pray then, if you can't stop? That's not acceptable in the Shafi'i Madhab. No, no, no. Unless you are ill. Unless you are ill. Unless you have an excuse, a, med a medical excuse. Like when you stand, you're dizzy, you fall, or something like that. You can, there is no way. But, 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 but in, in the car, you have to stand. In the plane, you have to stand. Yes. I personally follow the Hanafi Madhab when I'm traveling. Because it's very easy. I can pray in my, in my seat. If I, have, if I can face the Qibla, I face the Qibla. If I can't face the Qibla, I just like go ahead. But I do one thing. I wait until the plane takes off. Because you're not allowed to do that when the plane is still in the airport. It is similar to the, a, a, a ship in the harbor. As, as long as the ship is in the harbor, you can't actually pray sitting. Now. Yes, but I take the whole package. What you mean in the prayer, not, not in the rest of your life? No, 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 in the rest of my, of my life, no. Oh, just for that prayer? For that prayer, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at your seat, in the back. The Jewish people do it. Yeah, yeah. 
And to be honest, you know, it, as, as difficult as it might look, there is something sweet about it. Yeah. Because after some time, I decided, you know what? I am going even to do full wudu. In, and it's, it, it is quite a, it requires a lot of gymnastics for you if you do wudu in, in that tiny toilet. You, you know how, how toilets in the plains are, so tiny. So you have like to do loads of things. And you have to use a lot of tissues to make sure that you don't leave a mess behind you. So that people, they see a Muslim in, the, yeah. So you have to be very, very cautious. With training, I do it. I, I do full wudu and... Uh, and I, I leave my ring outside and I do full wudu and I come and I, I pray at the back. I use my blanket. Yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. Only, I, like, I, I, I would follow the Hanafi madhab only in situations where my prayer can lead to complication. Like if you're flying with Delta Airlines to the States, for example, and that is, that's going to cause so much trouble. Sometimes it does because they're fussy. But if I'm traveling with any Muslim or non-Muslim airlines that has Muslim, Singaporean airlines, Emirates, Etihad, anything, I, I just say, can I pray at the back? Yes, please. You have to stop in a service station. There is service stations every how many miles? Pretty much every mile or like 10 miles or something. If it is without an excuse, if it is without an excuse, if a person just like he, he has no excuse and he just like left, then in, the, in that situation the person will be sinful. But if the person has an argument, for example, and he has a valid point, and his parents, this is something that we normally ask, your mother has a, disagreed to a marriage, for example. And we call this sometimes wali. That's when the wali in marriage abuses his power or her power. Say, no, I don't want to agree to this marriage. Why? They just have no excuse. Oh, he's not from our clan. He's not from our country. He's any, any of that. Here, here is a, a situation where the person is torn between shall I be obedient to my parents or shall I uh, just go ahead with the sharia? I say... Respect your parents, don't fight with them, but continue doing what is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows. So you would be allowed to marry that person? Yeah. Oh yes, of course. Of course. Hmm. Oh, uh, you know when you said that in the shop you know that you can't sit and pray unless you have an ailment. But what about if it's a sunnah or nafl prayers? Can you sit? You can, yes. In nafl prayers. Huh? Even if you have no excuse. Even if you have no excuse. Sunnah prayer is different. We're talking about fard. In fard, one of the conditions of fard, one of the arkan of salah we studied, is standing. Standing. That's why the Shafi'iyah take it quite seriously. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ And stand for, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What? Because sunnah is, is, is a voluntary thing. It is lower than fard in, in its status. So the person 
is since you are doing something voluntary, you're allowed to give, be given some concession. Yes, go ahead. No, even in the Hanafi madhab, unless they, you have an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? For further prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have an excuse. But the Shafi'is would not consider a plane as an excuse. They would not. You see, it's, it's just a consideration of what counts as an excuse. The Hanafis would consider a plane as an excuse. The Hanafis will look into, for example, are you in a train and the train is moving? They will say, okay, train and train is moving, you can sit. A ship and the ship is moving, sit. A plane and the plane is flying, sit. The Shafi'is will say, no. <laughs> That's not an excuse. What we would consider as an excuse is, when you stand, does it cause you dizziness? Like, is it, is it focusing, is it now clashing with your focus in your reading, for example? No, that's, that's, not a valid, that's not a valid excuse because you are supposed to show your religion. <laughs> it's, it's part of practicing your religion. If we apply, you're not supposed to make a show of your religion. Then why should women wear hijab? No, but for example, I go in Friday, I was to live in Germany. And I found it used to play in the town park. You know, it's a This is, again, you know, certain things like these are quite excessive. If there is access to a mosque, go and pray in a mosque. You don't have to go and pray in the park. So sometimes Muslims as well, but, but when you are in a plane, the time of prayer has arrived. And you are sure that if you are taking a journey, you will not be in the other destination before the time of the second prayer comes. And in your madhab, you are not allowed to combine. So what shall you do? You have to respect the time of the prayer. You see, that's a very big, chunky issue. And to cut it short, just like to, to sum up the whole conversation, you follow your home country timing until you arrive. Yes, follow your home country timing until you arrive to your destination. When you leave your destination, follow your destination timing until you arrive. There is long discussion that you have to ask the pilot and you have to ask where, which point are we in and all of these things, but it is quite difficult. Bearing in mind that you have to put everything on flight mode. So there will be no way that you know which point that you're in. Does that make it difficult? So in your home time, say it's Maghrib time already, but you can still see the sun out. So how do you... That's fine. That's the, that's the simplest solution. The simplest solution is if you left London, if you have left London and you're going towards the east, then you just follow your home country regardless until you arrive in your destination. When you arrive in your destination, by the way, when you're coming from the Middle East or from the east to here, I think you will, uh, you will, you will not have accumulated number of prayers. While in the other way, it will be different. You, you, you might have accumulated one or two prayers that you need to make. Uh, with regards to? Say, for example, the same, or the same. Yes. Say now, if you were to pray standing up and with the normal movements, yes. if it causes you pain and it's easier for you to sit, would that be acceptable to sit? 
depending on what what pattern he is. Like for example, every time let's just say whenever you go to a court, you come come up. Is that a medical pain or is it tiredness? No, just no, not tiredness, but right. muscular muscular pain. Because of the exercise. Yeah, whatever it might be, gym or football, whatever. Yeah, particular exercise. Yeah. I wouldn't consider this as a as a before we move to Tamu, any more uh, the essentials of Tamu? Any more questions? <laughs> okay. The first, the first essential of Tamu is intention. What intention do we have to make? We mentioned that before. If you have to make the intention of making yourself accessible to a prayer or having access to prayer, you can't make an intention of the obligation of Tamu or I intend to do tayammum. Why? Because tayammum, an obligation of tayammum, and all of these are not like wudu. You say, no, why to fard wudu? I intend to do fard ghusl, or I intend to do wudu. No, here, you are not making, because tayammum is not an obligation. You make the intention of having access to fard salah, so that you can get everything else. Moving the dust to your body, and we said, moving the dust to your body, whether by your own hands, or by somebody else's hands, and if the wind has brought some dust on your face, you can move it to the hands, or on the hands, you can move it to the face, or on the right hand, it can, move, be, can be moved to the left hand, left hand can be moved to the right hand, but if it's on the face, you can move it to the other side of the face, because you have not moved it. It's still in the same bodily part. Or the wind has brought dust on your hand, you can move it to the rest of your arm. Why? It's still in the same place. The third essential is aiming to put the dust that you, you, you have aim in doing that. It hasn't happened haphazardly. It hasn't happened that someone has pushed you or you fell or, 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 or you hit a mountain or something that has... Wiping the face and wiping the arms, including the elbows, and have, doing that with order. Thumma, as, as the, the Imam Ibn Rasulullah what he says, and the order is to be followed. You have to follow the order. Sunan of Tayammum. In Tayammum, some of the Sunan is making sure that in the first hit, you separate your fingers from each other. Why is that? Because this will mean that more mist comes out. This will mean that more mist will come, will come out. And saying, Bismillah. As, the, as you do in wudu, Imam Ibn Raslan says, in wudu. He says, The sunnah of wudu is a siwak. And then say bismillah. So saying bismillah. Starting with the right side, before the left side. Starting with the top of the face, before the bottom of the face. Running the fingers through the fingers. It's a sunnah to do so. Removing the uh, ring. In wudu, you don't have to remove your ring. It's not one of the sunan of wudu, removing the ring, if you're wearing a ring. Why? Because it's normal that water will go beneath it. But in tayammum, water will not go beneath the ring. So it is a sunnah to remove the ring. If you don't, your tayammum is still valid. Consecutiveness and reciting, saying, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah, afterwards. And etiquettes of tayammum, just like wudu, facing the qibla. And avoiding too much dust, just like you avoid too much water. Yes, someone might think because some people are so uh, perfectionist 
So he might say, the more dust I have, the more reward I will get. That's not true. The amount of dust is not uh, equal to the amount of reward that you will get. Yeah. Yeah. It's just face, so arms with elbows. If you're in a situation where you don't, you don't even have to take your footwear out, you, you can just. Stay yes, you don't have to take off your footwear, at all. Yeah, you don't have to, because you're not doing anything to it. Tayammum in place of missing washing that part. In place of missing washing that part. We'll talk about this in detail. Also, avoiding prohibited dust. What do you mean by prohibited dust? Prohibited dust is dust that belongs to someone else. You can't, for example, use the dust in somebody else's garden without their permission. Or you are in someone's house and he, they have like a little yard outside the house. You can't use that without their permission. Yes, you have to seek permission of people. It's his ownership. When you buy a house, don't you own the land and the house on top, the building on top? So that's your belonging. So taking something without people's permission is haram. Even though the tayammum will be still valid. We said earlier that there is a difference between doing something haram and considering this haram thing to be valid. If someone takes water from someone, it's haram to use this water. But if he used it, his wudu is valid. It is haram to divorce a wife in her menses. But if the person does, he is sinful, but it's valid and effective. It's haram to divorce a wife during her uh, time of purity when the person had intimacy with her because it elongates the idda. It makes the idda, the waiting period, longer. But it's valid. It's haram to divorce a wife when the person is drunk. But if a person who has become drunk intentionally, like uh, not that one, someone has fooled him into drinking something, but he went and he drank, and he came and he divorced his wife. That divorce is valid, is effective. Yes, because the Sharia becomes very strict with that individual. Why did you go and get drunk? But if someone offers you something, you thinking that it's a drink, it's a, it's a juice or something, and you became drunk, and someone divorces his wife in that situation, it's not counted. Yeah, I understand from the point of being drunk, that yes, he has He's not in his mental capacity at this time. Who made him not in his mental capacity? Himself. Khalas. <laughs> you take responsibility. I'll ask you a question. If you become drunk and you drive and you caught, you caught, are you responsible or not? Why? Exactly. Same thing. There is something called the responsibility from the beginning. You do something haram, you take everything that comes after that. But if someone has put, has given you an injection without your permission, you know there is a funny situation. If you have no choice, if you're forced to do something, if you're forced to do something, that action that you do is not counted. So someone, for example, has been forced to divorce his wife, that divorce is not counted. But if there is any indication, this person had a choice. For example, someone forced him to pronounce one divorce for his wife and he pronounced three. We count the three. Right away. Why? Why did you do each jihad on your own? 
Why did you decide to change it? You did something that was not required from you. Huh? Or someone told you to divorce three times and you divorced only one. We count that. Why do we count that? Because the person has had a choice. It's an indication that he, had, he, he chose to do that. Same thing. Why did you get drunk? If you get drunk, you know, the Sharia is telling you, that if you get drunk, any action that you will do, we will hold you accountable for it. But if someone makes you drunk, we will not be held accountable. Hmm. Your prayer is valid as long as you make an intention to pray. When you start your prayer, do you make an intention or you don't? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just yes, I, I force you to pray, and then before you pray, you made an intention. Say, now I to salah. If you make an intention, it's valid. But if you don't make an intention, it's not valid. Even if it was not, even without forcing. So, so we, we, ha we have to be very technical here. In Salah, we look at a list of things. Do you have intention? Yes, yes, yes. Your Salah is valid. In the Hanafi Madhab as well. In, the Hanafi, in Salah. In Salah. In Salah. In tayammum, it's part of uh, tayammum, but not in wudu. And the, the Hanafis, they, they justify it in a, in a very strange way. <laughs> they say that the default case for water is that it's a purifying factor. What does water do, essentially? Purification. So when you use it in wudu, you don't have to have an intention for wudu to do wudu with the water, because the, the actions indicate it. But in Tayammum, dust is not dust or stone, or these things are not originally for purification. So you have to have an intention to divert it to purification. They are very, they are very technical when they look at these things. One of the things that I didn't mention is avoiding the dust of the masjid. Ah, yes, you have a yard next to the masjid, or the masjid is dust in the masjid itself, or there is a garden in the masjid. You come to this masjid, you can't do Tayammum from the dust of the masjid. Why is that? It's what? It's an endowment. No one is allowed to do anything. You know what? Even the trustees of this masjid are not allowed to make someone make a business on top of the masjid. Because once the masjid has become a masjid, if I build a masjid, I can't even build on top of the masjid a clinic and use it for my own private use. But I can build a clinic belongs to the masjid and the revenues go to the masjid. See, why is that? It's a waqf. It's an endowment. Waqf means I can't sell it, I can't rent it, I can't do anything except for the use of, of this place. For the use of the place itself. Or if I make it a waqf for a specific group of people, it has to be for that specific group of people. Of course. So, there was no water here? Yes. You have to go somewhere else. By the way, this is like etiquettes of tayammum. So it's it 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 is it is not haram to do that. It's not haram to do that, but it's not suitable to do it. 
It's not haram to use the dust of the masjid. It's not haram. But it's not suitable to do that. Why? Because it's a waqf. Yes. Not at the time of the Prophet What invalidates the yamum? What invalidates the yamum? Anything that invalidates wudu invalidates the yamum. So if you pass wind, if you touch your private part or somebody else's private part, touch your uh, wife, touch someone who's non-mahram, all of that will invalidate them. And also leaving Islam. A person has decided to leave Islam, when he comes back, it's, it's a different story. Finding an indication that water exists. Oh, when we say you have to look for water, you have to look for water. What do we call looking for water? There is something called Haddul Ghawth. There is something that's called Haddul Qurb. Haddul Ghawth means the uh, kind of the, the scope, the distance that you have to look at if like the time is really, really tight. The time is really, really tight. And it is, this scope is quite tight enough that if you have some, some valuables, you can quickly go back to them. What is that? 150 meters. That's not, that's not much. Huh? Yeah, 150 meters. Yeah, 150 meters. A scope of 150 meters, a, 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 a circle of 150 meters from all directions where you are. So you are here, 150 meters, 150 meters, 150 meters. If you have some valuables, and you have to rush quickly to them, or oh, the time of prayer is so tight, then it is 150 meters. What if you're relaxed? Prayer is, you still have time. When would you say, I can't find water, and I have to do tayyamun? You have to look in what we call haddul qurb, the scope of nearness, which is 2.5 huh, kilometers. That's a bit difficult. That's a bit difficult. 2.5 kilometers. So if you know that in 2.5 kilometers of each side there is no water, then you can pray. Even at the beginning of the time. So it's time for Salat al-Dhuhr. And I know that in 2.5 kilometers from every direction there is no water and there will be no water until the time of Asr comes. I can pray. So I started looking whether I'm sure or I had to look. Or whether someone has told me, someone can tell me. I can call someone. <laughs> Do you have water in this side? Do you have water in this side? No, there is no water. And I'm sure that there is no water in 2.5 kilometers in every direction. Then I can pray. What if the time has become so tight? Or I'm out in the desert. And I need to look around me. So what do I look at? I look at 150 meters from every direction. From the point where I am. That is called Haddul Ghawth. That is the scope. If something bad happens to my belongings, I can quickly rush to them. That's why they call it the scope of assistance. I can assist. Ghatha in Arabic means to rescue. It's the scope of rescuing. I can go and rescue the individuals who are in need of my help in case there is something problematic with them. Ending the state of physical inability to use water. The person has become well. He has removed his cast. He is fine. He can't continue wiping or using tayammum. He can't continue using tayammum. You might say, you know, I, I can't actually, I'm still limping. 
That's, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't allow you to use tayammum. You can wash. Huh? Well, as we said before, when do we repeat our tayammum? When do we repeat our tayammum? Huh? Uh, uh, j just going back to, to finding or indication that the water exists. When we say f finding, it means that you are sure that the water is there. Or uh, it is more likely to be there. It's more likely. If it's less likely, then you neglect that. So what was that, Taya Tariq, again? Hmm? Go on. We repeat our No, no, tayammum. We repeat our prayer. I have done tayammum, and I have prayed with this tayammum. By default, I should not repeat my prayer. Originally, I shouldn't repeat my prayer. But I will be needed. It will be needed from me to repeat my prayer if the water is missed in a place where it is unlikely to be missed. What do we mean by unlikely to be missed? We differentiate between something called habar and Safar. Habar means residence. Habar means city. Habar means village where there is water sources. Right? Where there is water sources. And Sahara or desert or Safar is in a place where there is no, generally there is no water. On the motorway, is that considered to be Habar or Safar? Today, it's pretty much Habar. It's because there is water everywhere. In every service, there is access to water. But if you're traveling in another country on a long route, for example, there is no access to water. If you are here in Kwanzaa, and you said, oh, I can't find water around me. Later, you found water, we say, repeat. Because in a situation like this, it is more likely. It's very unlikely that water does not exist. What else? You are in a travel of disobedience, and we mentioned that. There is no physical access to water, and you are in a travel of disobedience. You say, okay, do tayammum, pray, and then repeat your prayer because your purpose of travel was not in compliance with the sharia. You forgot water in your luggage. We mentioned that also. Someone put water in your luggage and you looked for it, and you are aware that there is water in my luggage. Because how long will it take you to look in your luggage? You didn't find your way to water which you are aware of. You know that there is a well. You know that there is a tap. You know that there is something. Tayammum was because of extreme cold. You can add to this as well. You have done tayammum while you are in a state, while you have impurity in your body. You have done tayammum while you have what? Impurity on your body. As we said, there is blood has dried on your body and you couldn't remove it. You couldn't remove it. And we will talk later, amongst them is when, uh, when, the, when the caste is in one of the parts of Tayammum. We'll talk about that when we come to talk about castes, inshallah. How many prayers can we pray with Tayammum? One fard, and as many nafl. Will janaza prayer, funeral prayer, will it be considered fard or nafl? Will be treated nafl. It will be treated as nafl. So you can... Um, Sheikh, you said um, in Hanafi, we don't combine, but if it was a choice between missing the prayer and praying before time or before, um, then can we do it? Like, for example, you're leaving for airport or you're leaving for 
You can pray at the beginning of the time. If it's 10 minutes before the time and you have to, then you have the option to pray in the plane. So I have, there have been times when I have left home. Yes. Before Fajr. Yes. Very early in the morning before Fajr, but it was either a question of praying Fajr or missing it because you know, you're in a car. Or okay, you miss it at the beginning of the time. Mm -hmm. But when you get to the airport, you still have time before, huh? It's too late. Yeah. It's too late. There. Yeah. What is the time between Fajr and uh, sunrise? Huh? Okay, and if you leave before Fajr, how far will you leave before Fajr? Yeah, no, but, but how far? Because I come across these situations quite a lot as well. How far? Five minutes? Then you could have prayed. You could have waited five minutes, it would not make a big difference. Just five minutes. If it is a half an hour, that means practically you might get there just before Shuruq. But if you miss it and then you go there after Shuruq because you became delayed in the road or something, then you can pray when you, when you arrive there. It will be made up. Yeah. If you have to leave way earlier before Fajr. But if you leave five minutes before Fajr, you wouldn't mind staying another five minutes and pray, catching Fajr. It will take three minutes to pray. Even if you miss the sunnah, like you can just do the fard and leave. But if it's a matter of leaving 45 minutes, then if you calculate it, you will be there before, before, before way before shuruq, way before sunrise. Because I remember I was going to Vienna last weekend and I arrived at the airport. The first thing that I looked for, because I was leaving before Fajr, was a prayer place. And I found like a corner place they say a meditation room, but it's only used by Muslims. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> it's like a, a Muslim prayer in disguise. Uh, so I prayed, and then I sat waiting for my plane. And then two sisters, they kind of figured out that I'm a Muslim because of what I'm wearing, and I'm holding a, something, reading, reading something. So they came to me and they said, Brother, do you know any of any prayer place? I said, here, here you go. It's there. And then the other lady said to her, oh, it is far. We will miss our flight. I said, sister, don't miss your salah. It's just like one minute. It's not far. Just go. They went, prayed, and came back. and said, thank you. So, I mean, like, it's, it could be three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. But if it's a matter of 45 minutes, it's a different story. Jeff, was your concession that you mentioned last week about um, being at work and having, like, a meeting? Did I mention that? Mm -hmm. No. I know whether I've misunderstood. You know, work, a work, like a work commitment, having a meeting that runs, you know, say from from Dohor, like Dohor to Asr, like meaning that you miss Asr. Could you then combine? In 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 some other like Shafi, maybe we can combine. Okay. If it's a one-off thing, as long as it's. If you're not traveling, like even if you are not traveling, oh. yeah, in 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 Shafi, it's. It's acceptable as long as, long as it's a one-off thing. It's not a habit, habitual thing. No. You have to become Shafi then. Yes. There is another thing. There is something that the Ahnaf do. Yeah, I hope the Ahnaf will not know what I'm saying. There are secrets I'm disclosing about it. There is something called Talfiq. Talfiq is like a fabrication. 
So the ahnaf, they don't combine, but they do something similar to combination, which is praying Dhuhr at the very end of time. As soon as they say, Assalamu alaikum, the ask the prayer starts, so they pray ask at the beginning of time, and that's it. I do that sometimes. Yes, so what they do is they pray Dhuhr right before Asr. As soon as they say, Assalamu alaikum, the adhan comes out. They start their Asr and pray. Is that not right? Well, it is, it, is, it, it is okay, but a person should pray at the beginning of the time. It is very recommended. So, hmm? so you shouldn't make it a habit to... Of course, it should. a person should not make it a habit to delay their prayer. The Prophet ﷺ said, That the salah should be performed on time. And I mean at the beginning of the time. Delaying prayer for the sake of water. Delaying prayer for the sake of water. We talked about this. If the person, if the person is sure that the water will come at the end of time, at the end of the time of your prayer, we said it is better to delay. Why is that? Because it's the best. Otherwise, then he should pray at the beginning of time uh, in order to achieve what we call the value and the virtue of praying at the beginning of time. If the person is not sure and it is more likely that he will not find the water at the end of the of the time of salah then it is better to pray at the beginning of time as well we mentioned also that the person is not allowed to start tayammum until he looks around him until he looks around him left right does he have to walk huh does he have to walk like this 150 meters does he have to walk that no he doesn't have to unless he is unable to see like if the space around you, 150 meters, you can see it, there is no buildings that stop you from seeing it because there could be a well behind this wall or a well behind this building and so on and so forth. Unless the person, and also if the person is afraid that someone might attack him, he shouldn't, he shouldn't do that. If he has company, does he have to ask them? If you are traveling in a company of people, yes, you should ask them. What if they say to you, yes, we have water, but we will not give it to you? except by payment then you should buy it if you have the money and you you have the money and in in excess of your of your essential needs of, or, or the needs of those who are accompanying you then you should buy it what if they are exaggerating like tariq and you you have the money buy it if if there is yeah buy it if the exaggeration is what we call bearable exaggeration they call it walaw bighabn means Kind of deception, you know that he's deceiving you. They say al wakil like like the deception or the, the, the failure or the, the of, a, of an agent. For example, I appointed Tariq to sell my bag to Frank. And then I told him sell this bag, and he knows that the value of the bag in the market is thirty pounds. Then he sold it to him for twenty-five pounds. He made a mistake. He had caused me some unease. So, is this bearable or not bearable? It is, but if you sold it for like 10 pounds and its value is 30 pounds, that's unbearable. So, this ghabn, this form of ghabn, this form of, of uh, unease, is bearable. If, for example, the water, the value of the water is 2 pounds, and Farak said, pay me 3.5, it's bearable. I can buy it. But he says, give me 500. That's unbearable. 
that's unbearable. So, having there is the final thing that we talk about, which is uh, I think we, we, we mentioned these, okay? Mentioned when to repeat your prayer, and we said that when when not to repeat your prayer, when not to repeat your prayer, if you lack water in a place, huh, if you lack water in a place where it is very unlikely to find water, like it's normal that there is no water in the desert, it's very normal. At the time of saying Allahu Akbar, uh, at the time of saying what, Allahu Akbar. There is a very interesting discussion. So they say, look at the time when you start your salah. When you, you know, I am about to start my salah. Allahu Akbar. I, I could see water in front of me. My tamun becomes invalid right away. My tamun becomes invalid right away. When I'm raising my hands, saying Allahu Akbar, and I can see water, or I have heard water, I open the tap and I could, could hear the tap, the water coming from the, from the tap. If you need... You don't have to repeat your prayer. If you need the water to drink it, or for somebody else, or even for an, uh, what we call hayawanun muhtaram, a respectful animal, respected animal. What do you mean by respected animal? Respected animal is an animal that you are not allowed to kill. But a dog that has got rabies is not a respected animal, because it's dangerous. But a normal dog, you don't have to kill dogs. You don't have to kill dogs. Huh? Uh, needing, I have water, but I need to sell this water. Tariq needs to sell the water to cover his costs, to cover his expenses, or to pay a debt. You owe someone some money, and he says, give me my money. And the only thing that I can sell to pay my debt is the water. Then you can do tayammum, and you don't have to repeat your prayer. You need to pay for the water, and there is no more, you don't have money. Or the money that you have is needed for something else. Or there is an, uh, an enemy between you and the water. Whether this enemy is a human enemy or it's an animal that's stopping you from accessing water or anything. Uh, you are afraid that by the time you go and look for the water, you won't be able to join your company. You're traveling in the company of people and by the time you come back, they will leave you. Oh no, we said, go, be with them. Why is that? Because... Safety takes priority. <laughs> there is no rope. Uh, there is a bucket in the bottom of the well. 
but there is no rope or there is nothing that I can get this bucket with. <laughs> Someone has left the bucket and took the rope away. So in order to fill this bucket and bring it up, I have to go down. It's dangerous. You are afraid that if you go and get some access, have some access to the water, you might drown. You don't know how to swim. You are in a ship. And they said, okay, there is water in there. Here, just like, if, you, if you go to that side of the ship, you might slip and you might drown. You are afraid that by the time you have access to water, the prayer time is expired. Then you pray, you don't have to, to repeat. You are afraid, as we said, you are afraid that using water will cause you illness, will increase the illness, will slow the healing from the illness, will cause you death, will, call, will leave you with some effect, some physical damage that will not be healed. It will, it will be an embarrassment. The final thing that we talk about when we talk about Tayammum is you have no access to water or dust. They call this person Faqidu Tahurain, the person who does not have Faqid from the word Faqada, to miss, to lose. Tahurain is the two Tahurs. What are the two Tahurs? Water and dust. This person doesn't have water and he doesn't have dust either. What should he do? A person who does not have access to water or dust, imagine. He is in a place that is full of mud. They put him in prison or something, or a pit that's full of mud. And he can't even uh, dry this mud. Or he is in an impure place. Or he is tired or anything like that. He has to pray according to the state that he's in. Regardless. And... What should he do in that situation? He said he will have to. One important thing to remember. If you pray in that situation, you are not allowed to recite anything except a fatiha. Why? You are impure. Yes, you are not impure. You are not pure. So when you pray, when you do your salah, you have to recite. Only a Fatiha can't recite anything else. Is this an old Madhahib? Are we teaching Baradifiq? Huh? He's asking, is this an old Madhahib? I said, are we teaching him Baradifiq? We're teaching Jafi'i. Don't ask me about other Madhahib. I am as foolish as you when it comes to some other Madhahib. <laughs> now, there is one important thing that possibly we mentioned before and possibly I was confused. We said that a person in a state of major impurity, as also a woman in her menses, are not allowed to recite for and didn't we say that? There is some details in the issue that I have uh, read that, that, that needs to kind of bring things back into place. The Quran that a woman in her menses or a man in his state of major impurity are not allowed to recite is the normal Quran. Recite the Quran for the purpose of recitation. For the purpose of recitation. But a person is allowed to recite for any other purpose. Mm -hmm. Like protection. Yeah. For the sake of protection. Or if it's part of your word. Mm -hmm. A daily word that you recite. Normally, you recite your word for protection. Or zikr. But it's, you're not reciting Quran here as Quran. Or you are reciting part of the Quran as a dua in another dua. Like for example... Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakeel. 
even though that is Quran, but the person is allowed to recite it in that situation. And if you are studying no. a, little, a few ayats or something like that? No, study is not. Yes, if it is zikr, if it is zikr or protection. You know, this morning I got a message from one of the Mashaikh who recently translated Tafsir al Baydal, Sheikh Jiyat Haddad, Sheikh Jibril Fahd Haddad. He translated the first his the first half juice of Tafsir al Baydal into English, published it between England and Brunei. And then the Bruneian uh, government banned it. They banned the distribution of the tafsir. And they gave no reason for that. So when he delved into it, he said, because he is using translator rated uh, text of the Quran in the commentary. So he has the Quran on top, the Arabic uh, tafsir, but in his translation, for example, he says, the ba in bismillah, he writes bismillah, B I S M M I L L A or whatever. And uh, they said that's not accepted. When you say the ba in, you should have to write bismillah as it is in Arabic. So he said, can you check? So I checked with some people in the house of Adonijah and I checked some books. There is ijma' that is not allowed. There is unanimous agreement between the fuqaha that it's not allowable to write the Qur'an in translator rated things. Even writing it in non-Ottoman, Uthman, the Uthmanic writing that was written by Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan, the way it is written in the Mus'haf, there is controversy in that. 
But can we write that in any other script? <coughs> like I mean, can I write Ar-Rahman instead of Alif, Lam, Ra, Ha, Mim? I write Alif, Lam, Ra, Ha, Mim, Alif, Noon. Because I say Ar-Rahman. Can I write As-Samawat with the Alif instead of Alif, Sim, Mim, Waw, Ta? And then I put a small Alif. Can I do that? There's controversy between the ulama in that. And the jumhur, the majority, that it's not allowed. Yes, iPhone, iPad, that doesn't take the hukm. What we're talking about when we say you are not allowed. Oh, you mean if the person in the state of menses, they are not allowed to recite. Even recitation is not allowed. Reading the translation is fine. Reading the English, yes. But they are not allowed to recite the Quran even from their memory, except for the purpose of protection and dua. Protection and dua. But just reciting. Why are you reciting? It's a ibadah. So, for example, someone wants to revise her hifl. No, she's not allowed to. Yeah, good. It's 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 a very delicate situation, but as far as I know, that itself shouldn't be allowed. Why? Because we need to teach the children. We teach them the qaida first, don't we? We teach them the qaida in order to read the Quran in its Arabic script. That's the whole point. Because the fear the scholars have put forward is, once we teach the children to read the transliterated, they will always go for the transliteration. And they will always depend on it. No, you teach them that this shape is called Alif. This shape is called Noon. This shape is called Jeep. This shape is called Thal. Then when they read, they will start reading. Even if they read slowly, that's the whole purpose. The purpose is to break the barrier between them and the Quran. What's the barrier between you and Chinese language? You can't recognize the letters. But if you recognize the letters and the sounds, you'll be able to, make, to read it. Once you read it, Looking up for, a, once you recognize the letters, it will be very easy to pick up a dictionary and find the, find the meaning. Same thing. If you're able to read Arabic text, looking and, and, and then you learn a little bit of how can I look this up in the dictionary, you'll be very easy, you can easily translate anything and start memorizing it. I remember back in the days when we studied German, the, the first thing that we learned is that everything that is written is pronounced. This is rule number one. Number two, they add something in between two words that are attached to each other. When you attach, for example, uh, the word nationality, which means identity of the state. Staatsangehörigkeit. State and then S. Right? And they attach it to it. So we learned how to read it. Then looking up a word in a dictionary is, is going to be easy. So this is the fear of the... When, when we look at it, we look at the purpose of how can we make the education easy. But it would be very easy for me to learn English in some of the, like back in the days, there was these cheap books that you can buy of the, like from the street in Egypt, where they say, learn English in three days. So they will write in Arabic, how are you? I am pleased to meet you. <laughs> it's like that in, in Alif. I, with Alif. And then, yeah, am, <laughs> obviously it will be pleased, 
not pleased. <laughs> Imagine if someone buys something like that and he read it. That will not teach him language. But it will be a temporary thing. It is temporary. Yeah. Yeah, it, it can be a temporary thing. But when, you see, one of the things that we do when we issue a fatwa to someone is being afraid of turning a temporary thing to a default thing. And this is so simple and easy today. You say something with a purpose, and then the person takes that, and he turns that into his lifelong plan. If you say to someone, yes, you can read the Quran like that, they will have no incentive to, to learn. So we'll always say... No, we need to see an individual case and deal with it as it is. We have... Okay, bye, inshallah.